This morning we're going to be looking at the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan, Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through to 37. When we eventually reach chapter 18 in our series, looking at Luke's Gospel, we'll look at a parable about a Pharisee and a publican, or tax collector, that's what a publican is, a tax collector, and they were both in the temple. The Pharisee, he blew his own trumpet as he prayed. He was boasting, he was bragging about how wonderful he was and how terrible the tax collector was. As for that tax collector, he beat his chest. He couldn't even look up to heaven. And he simply said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The reason I'm telling you all that in advance is because we're specifically told in chapter 18 and verse 9 that Jesus spake spake this parable. He spake this parable about the Pharisee and the tax collector unto certain people which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. What we're going to be looking at this morning, the Good Samaritan, also addresses people who trust in themselves that they are righteous and they despise others. In other words, the passage about the Good Samaritan looks at self righteousness which is the deluded condition of imagining oneself to be morally upright and free from the punishment of sin through one's own merits. However the reality is that there is none righteous, no not one. This is speaking to all of us here. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Their throat is an open sepulchre, an open tomb. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Far from having any righteousness of our own, we are born into this world as sinners, in rebellion against God. As David said in Psalm 51 and verse 5, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. What David said about himself applies equally to all of us. We are all sinners, even at conception, having inherited the original sin of Adam. And in Psalm 58 and verse 3, David said, The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. Now, even though David was clearly speaking about a certain, um, certain, certain people, 
when you look at the context of Psalm 58, he is speaking about certain people there whose actions were particularly violent, particularly wicked. Even so, his words still show that sin is a soul disease that we are born with, all of us. The good news is that Christ Jesus came into the world to save and to justify lifelong sinners through living a perfectly sinless life for all who would ever trust in him and paying the penalty for their sin by sacrificially laying down his life for them at the cross when he was wounded for their transgressions and when he was bruised for their iniquities and I'm speaking to you dear Christian Jesus he was wounded for your transgressions meaning he was wounded for all those times that you break God's law and your iniquity your depravity was laid upon him at the cross. You didn't lay it upon him. God laid it upon his son. It pleased the Lord to bruise him and to lay upon him the iniquity of all who would ever trust in Jesus. As you know only too well, dear Christian, or I trust you do, You stand before a holy and righteous God, not in your own filthy rags of self-righteousness, but in Christ, who is the Lord, your righteousness. And you praise God for his mercy and his grace towards you. You, a hell-deserving sinner, as you sing from a heart filled with thanksgiving, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. We sung it earlier, and I trust that is the song that proceeds from your heart, and I'm speaking to you, Christians. In our passage, a self-righteous lawyer came to Jesus with a very important question. He said, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus straight away directed him to God's law. The lawyer then quoted the summary of the law and Jesus confirmed that he had given the right answer and said to him, this do and thou shalt live. The lawyer, seeking to justify himself, in other words, seeking to establish his own righteousness and right standing before God, asked Jesus and Who is my neighbour? Whereupon Jesus responded by telling him about a Samaritan who rescued someone who had been left dead, left for dead by robbers. First of all, we can consider the lawyer's question to Jesus. Let's have a look again at verse 25 in Luke chapter 10. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up And tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? When the lawyer asked the question, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? We're told that he was tempting Jesus. He was testing Jesus. 
In other words, that expert on God's law tried to get Jesus to incriminate himself by saying something that might contradict or contravene God's law. And that's ridiculous and completely unlikely to happen when you consider what I've already said about Jesus living a perfectly sinless life when he was in the world. Not only did Jesus never contradict, never contravene God's law in any way whatsoever, whether it be in thought, in word, or in the things that he did, Jesus is the end of the law for righteousness to all who are trusting in him. Because he has fulfilled the law's demands on their behalf. The lawyer had no doubt heard Jesus or at the very least he would have heard about Jesus telling people to repent and to believe the gospel in order to be saved. But he wouldn't have heard Jesus commanding people to obey the law in order to receive everlasting life. He wouldn't have heard that. Perhaps he also overheard Jesus saying to his disciples, rejoice because your names are written in heaven. We see that in verse 20. Maybe maybe the lawyer heard Jesus telling his disciples that. Rejoice because your names are written in heaven. But Jesus made no mention to his disciples about the need to obey the law. Just rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Also, did you spot the clue when I read the passage to you about the Good Samaritan? Did you spot the clue in verse 25 that the lawyer was self-righteous, that he was not trusting in the finished work of Jesus, but in his own works and law-keeping in order to inherit eternal life? Look at verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said, what shall I do? He wasn't inquiring about inheriting everlasting life. He was inquiring about earning it. What shall I do? What must I do? It was all about him. Secondly, we'll look at Jesus' reply, reading again verses 26 through to 29. Jesus' reply to the um, lawyer who just asked, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Verse 26, he said unto him, what is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength and with all thy mind and thy neighbour as thyself. You'd expect the lawyer to give the right answer. He was a lawyer, not the, not like the advocates we have on this island. He was a, an expert on God's law. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right. This do, and thou shalt live. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbour? And Jesus answering said, 
a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves which stripped him of his raiment, stripped him of his clothes and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way and and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side and likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And so on. Since the lawyer was someone who sought to inherit eternal life through obedience to the law, through keeping the law, Jesus directed him to the law for the answer to his own question, what shall I, and that question being, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And as we see, the lawyer answered correctly when he said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbour as thyself. God's law which places upon us a perfectly reasonable duty to love God with our entire being and to love our neighbour as ourselves hangs on those two commandments, those two great commandments. Both are important. It's important to love God with your whole being as one of God's creatures and that love for God is evidenced in your love for your neighbour, for others, for other people. It's a practical love and concern for other people. Jesus said to the lawyer, and he says to you, this do, and thou shalt live. Thirdly, the lawyer sought to justify himself. The best thing for the lawyer to have done when Jesus said to him, thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live, was to have given up any thoughts of outsmarting Jesus, the infinitely wise son of God. And what he should have done at this point is cast himself at the feet of Jesus as he acknowledged that he had failed miserably to keep God's law throughout his life. Who was he kidding? Loving God with his whole being and loving him, his neighbour as himself. He ought to have cried out for mercy at that point, but he didn't. As it's written in verse 29, but he willing to justify himself said unto Jesus, and who is my neighbour? Instead of prostrating himself on his belly at the feet of the incarnate Son of God, the lawyer remained on his moral high horse as one seeking to justify himself. Seeking to justify himself, what that means is he he sought not so much to inherit eternal life, but to earn it through his obedience to the law, works of the law. If he paused for even the briefest briefest moment for a time of self-reflection and a time of honest self-reflection, he would have conceded that that would never happen. 
that he would never, ever be able to love God with his whole being and his neighbour as himself. Not as long as he abode in this flesh, in this world. It wasn't going to happen. Notice that the lawyer skipped the bit about loving God. In verse 29, but he willing to justify himself said unto Jesus, and who is my neighbour? Perhaps he vainly imagined in his deceitful heart that he really did love God with his entire being. There are people that actually think that they love God with their entire being and they don't. None of us do. Instead of speaking about God there, he went straight on to the neighbour. He simply focused on the second of those two great commandments when he said, who is my neighbour? Still getting clever with Jesus there. Not only that, but he sought to uh, to define neighbour very narrowly, which is something we can all very easily and very conveniently do. After all, if neighbour simply means your next door neighbour who you just happen to have a good relationship with, it's quite easy to love your neighbour. Or, or to seem to have a, to love your neighbour, you, you don't actually, but it would seem that way if you're having a good relationship with your next door neighbour. Or maybe your family members or close friends. And you may imagine that, yeah, I love my neighbour as myself. When you've limited it to just a few people, a, a, a small circle of people. But most certainly, you do not love your enemies. What about your neighbour who hates you? Do you love that neighbour? Do you love that neighbour as yourself? Whether it's your next door neighbour or anyone else for that matter. With regards to loving your enemies, Jesus had something to say about that. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 43 to 44, he said to his disciples, Ye have heard that it have been said, not said in the law, but said in Jewish tradition, Thou shalt love thy neighbour and hate thine enemy. That's Jewish tradition that's crept in. Hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Jewish tradition had butchered God's law. Not only had the Jews admitted, uh, omitted as yourself, love your neighbour as yourself, they added to the law permission to hate their enemies. As the Jews saw it, anyone who was not a Jew was to be hated as an enemy. Again, it's narrowing the definition of neighbour. Anyone who's not a Jew, you, you can hate. And we, we all have that kind of mentality. The answer that Jesus gave to the question, who is my neighbour? That's our fourth point now. Look again at verse 30. Jesus answering said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves. And then he goes on to talk about um, a priest, a Jewish priest that comes along. He sees the man left half dead, having been robbed by thieves. And what does he do? He walks, he carries on. He walks along. He walks the other way. 
And then a Levite comes along and does exactly the same thing. A Levite was someone who assisted the priests in their priestly duties. Just carried on going, carried on walking. Neither the priest nor the Levite stopped to help the, the, the man who had been left half dead. And then a Samaritan came along and he, he stopped and he helped the man. He, he tended to his injuries. It didn't stop there. He put him on his beast. You can almost imagine the, uh, the, the, the man who'd been left half dead on the Samaritan's beast, whatever it was, a donkey perhaps. And with the Samaritan walking beside the donkey, they go to somewhere where the, the man can get help. And it doesn't end there. The Samaritan undertakes to pay any further costs that may be incurred. Very different there. There was no love between Jews and Samaritans. Again, what we need to understand here, the lawyer was a Jew. And in the story that Jesus gave, the reply to the, the, the Jewish lawyer, who is my neighbour, Jesus, he talks about the Samaritan. The Jews hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans hated the Jews. The Samaritans were the descendants of heathen people that the Assyrians, the Assyrian Empire, had populated the kingdom of Israel with hundreds of years earlier when they occupied the land. Therefore, hearing that Jesus, hearing what Jesus said about a Samaritan showing compassion on a Jew, a Jew that's been left half dead, having been robbed, uh, been robbed and stripped of his raiment, hearing that it was a, one of those hated Samaritans that showed compassion, that would have been painful to that lawyer who, saw, who, who thought to justify himself before God through what he vainly imagined to be his obedience to God's law. Even though his narrow understanding of God's great commandment, love thy neighbour as thyself, excluded the enemy of the Jews, such as the Samaritans. He had no love for the Samaritans. And and he was listening to Jesus talking about a Samaritan helping someone left for dead. That would have been painful for him to hear. Jesus was demonstrate, giving a demonstration of what showing love and concern for someone might be about. Jesus finished by asking the lawyer, Which now of these thinkest thou was neighbour unto him that fell among the thieves? And the lawyer, he had a choice of three. Was it the priest? Was it the Levite? Or was it the Samaritan? The lawyer answered, he that showed mercy on him. It would seem that the lawyer just couldn't bring himself to say the Samaritan who showed mercy on him. He just said, he that showed mercy on him. But he answered correctly all the same. Last of all, Jesus said to the lawyer, go and do thou likewise. 
If that sounds familiar, it ought to. And that's because Jesus said pretty much the same thing earlier on in verse 28, after the lawyer had, as one might expect of a lawyer, recited those two great commandments. Go and do likewise. The story of the Good Samaritan illustrates the impossibility for not only the lawyer but for all of us to fulfil the demands of God's perfect law of love. There was no way that the lawyer would would have done as that Samaritan, whom he no doubt hated, did. It's more likely that he would have done as the priest did and as the Levite did and perhaps as we all might have done. Just look the other way. The very fact that we're all sinners means that not only the lawyer, but all of us have failed to keep those two great commandments. You may think that I'm being a tad harsh, not only on the nasty lawyer, but on you, most of all on you, telling you that you do not love God with your whole being, that you do not love your neighbour as yourself. How dare he say that? And if that is you at the moment, That calls for some self-examination, honest self-examination of your own. And if you do that, if you do a bit of soul searching, you'll see that far from loving God with your entire being, the reality is that there are many, many idols in your life that you desire more than God, that you devote more time to than God. I know we have to do things. Most people have to go to work for eight hours a day. We've got no choice. But given the things that we can choose to do or not to do, we tend to choose things above God. Come to church for a couple of hours a week. Christians. How much time do we spend on other things? We all have idols in our lives. And an idol is something that has uh, a higher place in our affections than God. As for loving your neighbour as yourself, I'm sure you can very easily do as the lawyer did and narrow down the meaning of neighbour to refer to family and friends, but certainly not to those who you consider to be your enemies, people who hate you or who may well hate you. When Jesus said to the lawyer, go and do thou likewise, after telling him about the compassion of the Samaritan on the Jew who was left for half dead, he would have done well, the, 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 the lawyer would have done well at that point to confess his failure, to keep God's law and to cry out for mercy and forgiveness through faith in Jesus. Whether he did that or else vainly continue to try and justify himself, it's not given to us. We don't know. But when Jesus said there at the end of it, go and do thou likewise, again, what that man should have done then was cried out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Finally, the Samaritan had compassion on his sworn enemy, a Jew, who had been robbed and then left half dead. Time and again the Lord Jesus Christ can be seen to have compassion 
on people. For example, we've seen in chapter 7 that Jesus had compassion on a widow whose son was dead and being carried in a coffin, an open coffin, and whose funeral was taking place. Jesus touched the coffin of that dead man and he said, Young man, I say unto thee, arise. Jesus said this when his heart was filled with compassion. And that illustrates a spiritual truth that Jesus raises up to everlasting life people who are not just half dead, but fully dead, fully dead in trespasses and sins. That was you, dear Christian, wasn't it? You were at enmity with God. You were hostile towards God, a child of wrath in rebellion against God and his holy commandments, which are all about a love for God with your whole being and a love for your neighbour as yourself. And while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. And the life you now live, it is one where you have been crucified with Christ. You've been raised up to newness of life in the Lord Jesus Christ. Furthermore, the wrath of God abode on you before you were saved. You were hostile towards God and the wrath of God was upon you. But what happened? God drew you with loving kindness to his dear son, having granted you repentance. And by grace, you were saved from your sins and you received everlasting life when you trusted in Jesus as your saviour. When you look at what precisely the Samaritan did for the man at the scene of the crime, he poured oil and wine into his wounds Now, I can't resist this. I'm looking at a bit of symbolism here. And without looking too much into it, I can't help thinking that the wine would have stung. You pour wine on open wounds, it's going to sting, isn't it? It's going to hurt a lot. And the oil, well, what about that? It would have been soothing, very soothing indeed. Well, God's law... It exposes just how much we have failed to love God with our entire being and just how much we really do not love our neighbour as ourselves. And to come to that realisation, it stings, it hurts when you realise that you have offended a holy God with your failure to keep his laws. As for the gospel which tells us about a saviour who triumphantly rose from the dead, having reconciled sinners to a holy and righteous God by the blood of his cross. When you listen to the gospel, that is very soothing indeed. It's music to the ears, isn't it? To hear about God who commends his love towards us, sending his son into the world, his only begotten son, who was lifted up to die, bearing away your sin. Giving you a hope. You, who were without hope, giving you a hope that reaches up to heaven. It's That is soothing indeed. For anyone who hasn't yet done so, stop 
trying to justify yourself. Show repentance towards your towards God for your failure to love God and your neighbour. You won't be the only ones. There are Christians in here who have done precisely that. They've come to a realisation that God is a holy God. I've come to that realisation years ago now that I failed miserably to love God with my whole being. To love my neighbour as myself. That defines a Christian. Someone who has come to that realisation. And then what you must do, not tomorrow, but today. Tomorrow may never come. You don't have to jump through hoops. You don't have to go on a parish walk. You don't have to do anything. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent. Show repentance towards God. Cry out to God for mercy. And receive Jesus as your saviour. Believing that not only has he raised you up from spiritual death to everlasting life. But that he will complete the work that he has begun in you. And he will present you without fault and with exceeding joy before God. Who you'll know as your heavenly father. Just as the Christians in here know God as their Heavenly Father. Amen.